Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here is your host, Sarah Blackhurst. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to Action 22's radio show, Making Action Happen, where we talk about the most pressing issues facing Southern Colorado. Uh, I have once again with me my compadre, Brian McCain, and in a little bit, we're going to talk some crap and name some names. But before we do that, I wanted to uh, tell you a couple of really cool things and give some shout outs. So we're really excited the network Voice America has offered us a one-year contract, and we want to thank all of our listeners and everybody who's been involved, um, and the network and Tracy and everybody who's helped us along the way. We're super excited, and it's just because of you as listeners have been super supportive of us, um, but I want to give a special thanks um, to our board of directors for the Action 22 board of directors and their support for us doing this, number one, um, but in particular, uh, and he's not on our board, but our good friend, Louis Carleo, who is the first sponsor that we had for the show. And he didn't want any recognition and he didn't want a commercial or anything. It was just his way of saying that he believed in us and what we were doing and what Action 22 does. And um, and we have a lot of uh, love and affection for Louis. And so we wanted to give a special shout out to him. The other thing I wanted to do is this is a really big deal. And I know a lot of um, our listeners may not understand what a big deal this is. But San Luis Valley Airport um, just welcomed its first United Airline flight. Um, and that's a really big deal because it's a great indicator that that area, the San Luis Valley, Alamosa, all of that is growing and growing in really great ways. They just expanded their Part 139 certification. We want to give a huge shout out. I know that Gigi Dennis, all the county commissioners um, from around the area and all of them worked really, really hard to make this happen. Um, And so big, huge congratulations to them. So um, we... Brian and I have been talking a lot, as everybody in the country has, about uh, the election and what's going on. We had um, a lot of listeners and a lot of great feedback from last week's show with Mike Beasley. And so we wanted to sort of deconstruct or or do a little bit more. Um, I think there's a huge need for some civics lessons that are are going around. Um, And there was a couple things. um, One of the things that kind of bothered me that I saw uh, that happened is just days after the election, as you know, um, the ballot initiative. I saw on Facebook that somebody was saying that there was, if they got enough signatures, they could petition to have a veto for this ballot measure. And so I just out of curiosity, I knew that that wasn't possible, but I wanted to kind of see what was happening with that. And so I went ahead and signed this petition because, as you know, I was very against bringing more wolves in. And I, as soon as I did it, it was it asked me to donate money. And so our good friend, Chad Vorthman, who was actually running the campaign against that, um, I texted him and he was pretty annoyed. But I was really annoyed that even though... I was thinking the election was over and everybody else was thinking the election is over. There's still fundraising to be done. But you and I were talking um, 
just yesterday and you said something about New York City that really inspired me. And so I wanted, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Will you talk about that, Brian? Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, you know, one thing um, that I noticed and just, you know, I, I am a veteran and I deployed September 12th, um, 2001. So the day after, um, and I remember coming home, I think I was out like, I don't know, I was young, so probably partying with friends or something and <laughs> went to my friend's house and slept on the couch and uh, his mom was a nurse and came in and uh, she's like, turn on the TV, a plane hit the World Trade Center, it's crazy. And so we turned it on and I saw it and then we saw the second plane hit and I was like, oh man, I know what this is. And of course, I get a phone call like 45 minutes later and it's basically pack your stuff up, you're leaving the country tomorrow. Um, but looking back on that, <clears throat> if you talk to New Yorkers, talk to people that were there, you know, the best time for community and crimes down, everybody getting together was the day after September 11th. Um, New York came together as a community. Um, they, they really showed compassion to their neighbors. Everybody was looking out for each other. I mean, it was a, an amazingly terrible tragedy that happened and it brought everyone together. And there was this sense of, um, I, I hate to use the term peace because it was the worst terrorist attack we've ever seen, but sense of community. And, and people started to realize, you know, we're all just people. We're in this together. And when bad things happen, we have to band together. And looking right now, you know, we're going through COVID and whereas September 11th and similar things that have happened, you know, it's all at once. So, you know, all this stuff happens at once. COVID stretched out over time, but it, it's no different. It's a tragedy, you know, um, people dying, people getting infected. We're dealing with lockdowns, shutdowns. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen, what's going on. Um, you know, we don't know what two months is going to, we don't even know what next week is going to look like. Uh, today, we just found out that our kids' schools are back online, which, right. you know, uh, luckily I'm in a position that um, my wife's home and she can help them out. But you think about the families that, you know, both parents work and how are they going to sit at home with their kids on the computer to go to school? But I, I think looking at COVID and what what I would like to happen and what I want to see, and we are seeing it around, um, you know, Similar to September 11th, this is a time for everybody to get together. Um, we're all in this together, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, right, left, business owner, business worker, a bartender to CEO of a bank. Um, we need to get together. And I think we're going to see that, especially this isn't over. And that's important. And I just keep going back to September 11th, where in New York, you know, they stood as one. And you saw the bumper stickers. Everybody had a flag outside their house. Yeah. Everybody was asking, are you okay? Um, even here, you know, in Colorado, which is very far removed from New York and not, Pueblo, Colorado is nothing like New York. Uh, the, the day after, um, on September 12th, I was, when I was in school, I was in college, I had my uniform on and it was just, you know, solemn wherever I went. Um, and people knew, and I didn't know where I was going. I had a good idea. Uh, we got on the plane a few days later and, you know, they gave us our desert um, DCUs as we call them. And so then we kind of, we, you know, like, oh, we're going over to the Mideast. But, you know, that sense of community, that sense of just being an American, being a person in the world, um, banding together. And when everybody saw you in your uniform, everybody was reacting pretty yeah. much. Like it was just, 
there was a lot of love sent your way? Uh, people cried. Um, I remember going to a teacher and I went to school for art. It was my, um, I, I had an art scholarship. So I went for multiple things, but I had a major in art as one of my majors. And, uh, you know, the, some of the art teachers were a little, little liberal and had their reservations about me being in the military and stuff, but they're all great people. But I just remember them just in tears when I walked into class that next day to say like, hey, I'm out of school. Like, I don't know when I'm coming back. How old were you? 20. 20. Which when I was partying the night before, there was nothing that, you know, I had to be 21 to do. <laughs> leaving <laughs> that on the table right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was 20. Um, yeah, it. It was, oh, actually, I was 21 then. I'm trying to think. I was a junior in college when it happened. and But but again, going back to that, just that sense of community and everybody coming together as one. And I think that's really what we need right now, especially if we're going to, I mean, we're looking at more shutdowns. We're yeah. going to look at stress. Um, you know, businesses, this is going to hurt small business. And we just got to do what we can to take care of our small business owners, our moms that may not be at home moms or dads and now are stuck at home they're having to quit jobs and they did that you know that was happening in September where they were that this year where they were quitting their job I was just like oh my gosh but then um you know my, my husband's a teacher so of course we were all at home and trying to do this um and it 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 wasn't working I mean it's really really tough so um again because uh, our kids are in the same school district, um, yep. even though we live about 30 miles apart, um, 30 minutes apart, our kids are in the same school district. So um, they are, they're home today mm-hmm. um, and they're going to be home until the new year. Um, and so it's, there's going to be a lot of rearranging done at our house as well. But um, that's the thing I, you know, since the days of, you know, since the election and, and stuff, I've had, I was thinking that it would kind of settle down a little bit, but um, on some fronts, it's been a little bit um, more fearful and more um, a lot of anxiety because it wasn't over. But here, I guess here's the thing. Elections are never over the night of the election. No. Um, and that's one of the things I wanted us to talk about today. So um, on the state, like you, your um, wheelhouse is on the federal side and mine is on the state mm-hmm. side. But I wanted to talk a little bit about um the, the vote, the, this whole process where the votes have to get certified, what that means, when is that done, how did that happens. So I thought we could play a little bit of um, true or false. Um, so, but before I get in, into that, I want to tell you that um, in Colorado, um, they have a camp, they, and I usually think people know and understand this, but it's not well known. They have a canvas board that certifies votes. What they do is they look at all the votes from the clerk's office um, and there's a board and it's, it's a regular board under the same laws that any board of directors um, is under. Um, it's just a temporary board. And they go in and they look at, they get walked through the process. How was, how are the votes collected? How are the ballots collected? How are the ballots um house that came in at different times um when did they uh when did they have to mail them in all that sort of thing and this board is to overlook to see that all of those things uh, how all those things were done and you ask a lot of questions and it's it's a tough thing it's not a fun thing to sit on a campus board um but 
it happens at different times in different states. Colorado is one of the later ones. Um, and the campus board in Colorado sits the week of Thanksgiving. So mm-hmm. it's usually like the Tuesday or Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Um, that's what they have. But throughout the whole country, it does this whole thing. Once um, all the secretary of states in all 50 states certify the vote, then what happens? Um, so federal, well, you could even do this locally. So for say county commissioner or even something less prestigious than that, you would say, or less sexy, like a uh, comptroller, what do they say <laughs> that your local dog catcher, you know, right, and right, right. I think it happens more in local elections. Um, you'll see that they're so close that county commissioner, city council, they'll win by, you know, seven votes. And you, know, you read the paper and it's like still waiting on the results. If it's too close, you know, it still takes a couple of weeks from the go through, recount, verify everything. Um, same thing with the federal ones. Once the, the state certified the election, um, then I think it goes up federally and the electoral college meets to um, cast their votes. And I forget what the hard date on that is, but as you see, if there's still litigation and, you know, lawsuits going on or recounts, um, which a recount is fair, um, I think that any candidate should be able to demand a recount, especially if it's close. They don't think something matches up. You know, they they can demand a recount and they go in just to verify it. But say, say that that's going on and they don't have the election results by the date. Um, I, again, I forget it's like December, I want to say 18th or yeah. something like that. Um, you know, or the other side, they can go and say there's um, faithless electors where they won't vote the way that the people voted. So, you know, they, they could cast their vote for a different candidate and that would be a faithless elector. Um, anyway, if the president or presidential candidate, if they don't receive the 270 votes, then you get into a weird murky area that uh, calls for Congress to decide and vote on the president. And I believe it's happened twice in our history. And in fact, that's what the 12th Amendment was for, was to smooth it out. So if either candidate doesn't get the 270 and then Congress has to vote, the House has to vote on a president by the 20th of January, and the Senate has to vote on the vice president by the 20th. Um, this is where it gets frustrating too for people. Um, in the House side, when they cast their vote for president, it's not voted on like a bill in the House. So even though the Democrats control the majority, when they vote on a president, it's each state gets a vote. And that vote is controlled by the majority of the state. So as we're sitting now, there's more Republican majority states than there are Democrats. So if it went to the House, you could very well see the, the House voting for the, r- Donald Trump versus yeah. Joe Biden on it. Um, but and, and then the Senate, they just need a simple majority to vote for vice president, which also could get into some weird stuff like, say, the House does vote for Joe Biden, but then the House votes for Donald Trump to be vice president or anybody, yeah. you know. So yeah. true or false, um, there is an outside chance that Nancy Pelosi could be president. Yes. If the the House fails to elect, if there is not a president elected by the 20th, whether it's from the House not electing one or um, other stuff going on, then de facto Nancy Pelosi will become president until the president is elected. So when would that be? I don't know. We've never <laughs> gone there before. So, 
well, there's a lot of things we've done this year that yeah, we've never done yeah. before. But it, um, but it is important to say um, when they go to elect the president and vice president, they can't just elect anybody. So for Speaker of the House, this is this is fascinating. Um, you know, everybody votes on the Speaker of the House. So whoever controls the majority, usually they all agree to who they're going to vote for. Um, but you have congressmen and congresswomen that have always voted for Mickey Mouse. You right. Know, anybody could do it. So if you had the the House, the majority of the House vote for Kanye West, Kanye West to be Speaker of the House, then Kanye West would be Speaker of the House. And then he would be the president. Yep. Then he would be the president <laughs> if they do that. But but that's a, that one always fascinated me that um, you don't have to be a congressman or congresswoman to be Speaker of the House. They could vote for whoever they want. And a lot of them do. And that's that also gets into um with the numbers in the House as they are right now, um, say there's some Democrats that maybe don't like Nancy Pelosi. Like, I would like to think that we're going to see a more moderate approach to our federal government. Um, and so what if you have some Democrats, same thing if it would have been Republican on it, and we ran into this once in the House where there was barely enough votes because some Republicans were going to vote for somebody else versus who they wanted to pick. But, you know, if you have some of the Democrats vote not for Nancy Pelosi, not saying they would vote for a Republican, but maybe somebody else or they want somebody else in there. It's possible that Nancy Pelosi would not be the Speaker of the House, even though the Dems control the House. So here's the other fascinating thing to me. So this, the House would vote on the, neck, on the president. Um, the Speaker would be... Um, the president by default until that vote was made. Mm -hmm. um, but the Senate votes on the vice president. Yes. So does the Senate vote on the vice president now? No, they have to do it by the 20th. So it's this would have time. to be, it's, it's the, same, the same, same thing. Okay. Yeah. So if they don't have, if they don't have it, if it's not all certified by the 20th, um, then the Senate would pick the vice president mm -hmm. and the Senate is um, still Republican. I mean, it's still Republicans are the majority. So far, I think there's two runoff elections that could change that. And those runoff elections are like the first week of January. So, I mean, yeah. this would be a, like a yeah. really tight. So, this is just thinking every possible scenario. Mm -hmm. We're not saying that this is going to happen, but it could happen that yes. they could actually make Donald Trump the vice president. Um, I mean, they, yeah, because they have to vote on the top three candidates in a presidential election. So they can't just pick anybody like the, the speaker, like I was saying. So it has to be the top candidates. So, and it's top three candidates. And the reason for that, when the 12th amendment was written, you saw a lot of, you mostly saw three candidates would get the majority oh. of the votes for president. Now it's between Republican and Democrat. So in reality, the, the house would vote for either Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And then the Senate would vote for Mike Pence or um, Kamala Harris or Joe Biden, or Donald Trump. Or Donald Trump. I think that's Who's, how it works. Who would be the third? There isn't one. There isn't one. Yeah, I, I, you'd have to go through to see if anybody else got any votes, but I don't think, I, I don't Nobody know. Nobody else got electoral votes. Yeah, I, I don't know if it goes off electoral or actual votes, but back in the day, they'd always have, you know, you'd have Republican, Democrat, Whig Party, um, anything. You know, there's usually about three, sometimes more, um, seven candidates running for president that would get, you know, 10% of the vote, 20% of the vote. Okay. So let's say. <laughs> and I could completely be wrong on a lot of this no, stuff. I, but, no, I know. But, uh, we, I looked at some stuff. You looked at some stuff because the, some of the scenarios that I think you and I were both hearing were like, 
okay, yeah. wait a second, can that be real? Yeah, and one of them said that um, the Senate would vote, could only vote for a vice president candidate, but then another constitutional law thing I was reading said, no, they could vote for any candidate. So that's where some people are saying, well, you could have vice president, President Trump under President Joe Biden, or, <laughs> you know, um, vice president Biden under President Trump, you know, it's. I, I just want to, I want to think about that for just a second. If Biden was the president and Trump was the vice president, how long could that go on? Mm, it would be a fun show to watch. It would be. <laughs> I mean, it, it would be kind of scary that that would be our country and the most powerful people in the world. But um, it it would make for a perfect finale of America <laughs> season twenty twenty right now. The re- America the reality show. Oh my gosh! So, um, so if you want to fire a vice president and get a new vice president, how do you do that? I. Don't know, honestly. I, that's one I I know that in the, you know, the House and even the Senate, you know, you can impeach a president, you can call for the removal. Um, like Nancy Pelosi talked about it a few months ago of putting together a committee on basically deciding if the president is competent to serve office and if they could remove him, how the process would work. But I, honestly, I don't know how you would remove a vice president. I think that if you remove the president, obviously the vice president would become president. Right. But I'm not sure how that would work for, you know, if they remove, if they're just going after the vice president. I don't, I don't know. Um, and, and as you know, the vice president is president of the Senate. Right. And that's why the speaker's third. So it's president, vice so, president, speaker. But that leaves an interesting thing because they would be the president of the Senate, but they don't actually have to be a senator. No, the, um, to be a president. the president of the Senate is always the vice president. And the reason for that is you need a tiebreaker. So right. traditionally, the vice president will not vote in the Senate on anything unless, right, unless he, he or she has to come in. It's to, 25 to 25. Yeah, to, or, to break a well, vote. Yeah, it's yeah. 50 to 50 um, to break the vote. Yeah. I don't know how often that happens. So um, you looked it up a little bit ago. How how many times has it happened where, the, um, where Congress has selected the president because they didn't certify? Two times. Okay. And I, Hamilton um, was one. I think one. it was Hamilton was one, and I'm not sure the other. It was like. 1800 and 1824, I believe is when it was. And I could be completely off on those dates. So I wonder how, um, when those things did happen, because my thought has been a lot toward just how we heal. Um, And it's kind of crazy to say, to talk about healing, because we've not been, um, we've not been on, or... With 9-11, there was a clear traumatic event. Yes. I don't know that there's been a clear traumatic event other than us just getting, listening to, you know, media more and getting angrier and angrier. It's not a clear traumatic event. It's a spread out traumatic event. And that goes from everything from COVID to the election um, to, you know, you have civil unrest in places, you have protests, you have riots in other places. Um, It's not clear, um, but it is there. And I think if we look back on it and we start, and people are paying attention to it because it's really affecting them right now, especially with 
COVID. You know, this was going to be something we're going to get through. You know, we, we have some tough sacrifices to make, but we're going to get through it. But we're not through it. And it seems to be that as far as what the media is saying and our governors and our politicians, you know, it, it's going to get worse again. And that makes it a little more clear. It's not all at once, but people are seeing that. And I think we may have, you know, closer community, especially after this election's done. That that's, feeds a lot into it. Everybody's kind of angry for their side or angry at the other side. Um, once we get through this election, I, I think you're going to see people start to come together more and um, be a little more moderate and towards the middle on things. There's a <laughs> there's a thought, you know, I I think there's a lot to be said um, for the power of being home with your families and, mm-hmm. and just having that kind of thing and being more creative with the holidays and, you know, that we're having kind of another shutdown that we can sort of hole up. Um, my husband's, you know, that's a really tough thing on, on teachers. Um, my boys, you know, came in this morning. They're like, oh, we're, one of them was, you know, upset a little bit, but not too much. The other one was just thrilled to death. He'd much rather do school at home. Um, but trying to do all that. On the other side, I kind of feel like the last few months, us all being alone at home alone with our thoughts was a kind of an unhealthy thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't, maybe other people aren't like me, but being just sitting there and being alone with my thoughts, I don't know, is an entirely healthy thing. Um, what did you, if you could, if you were a, dis, a major decision maker, if you could um, say, let's do this and this and this, um, especially uh, that rural um, urban divide, what would you do to try to, what, I don't know, what do you think would fix that or help that? I don't know. Um, that's a, it's a good question because no matter what you, no matter what you want to do with this or how you approach this, it's the wrong answer for somebody. And that's why I'm glad I'm not a decision maker on this. I'm glad I'm oh, not the yeah. governor. I'm glad I'm not a health department, um, head of the health department here because no matter what you do during this time, especially when it comes to COVID and this, it's the wrong answer for somebody. Um, again, going back to like kids in school, like kids need to go to school. They need to socialize. They need to sit in front of their teacher. I've seen it with my kids where they're doing their online learning. They're kids, so they don't have, you know, great attention span. (laughs) So you kind of have to stand over them and like hit them with a stick when they're not paying attention and make sure they're doing it. As we found out, we're like, oh, you got your work done for today? They're like, oh, yeah, it's done. And it's like, well, it's only 8.30 in the morning. Are you sure yeah. it's done? <laughs> um, so so that, that's tough. But at the same time, if, you know, this virus is as deadly as they're saying and it's infecting people, like, you don't want them in school where they could come back and spread it. Yeah. Um, and, and with businesses, it's the same way. Um, you know, I, I understand the people that are frustrated with the mask mandates, um, but I also understand that a business has to require you wear a mask yeah. and, and you can't get angry at the business because they're the ones getting in trouble. Like, you know, they may not think a mask works or want you to wear a mask, but they have to because they risk being shut down or losing their license for that. So you have to respect that. You have that. to. Yeah. You have to. And that's one of the things that uh, um, we hear over and over again from business owners and our business people that 
there is a lot of that is landing on them. Mm-hmm. Um, when we come back from the break in just a minute, we're going to talk a little bit um, more about um, what's happening in Colorado and how um, we take those next steps, especially on the economic recovery side um, and what we're going to do um, to try to heal because it's clear that on, on the state side and also on the federal side, this has really widened that urban-rural divide and uh, right now is when we need to start to do something about it so we'll talk a little bit about that when we come back from the break Um, I hope you stick with us and we'll um, take calls or we'll take emails um, during that time Uh, we'll see you in a few minutes Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Welcome back. Um, I'm still here with uh, my compadre, Brian McCain, and we're talking a little bit more um, about uh, what happens next 
um, on the election. As, as we discussed earlier, the election is not completely over. Uh, it won't be completely over until all the votes are in, um, but it won't be completely over until it's certified an inauguration. And um, there's still a long road to go because there's a lot of lawsuits out there. Um, and there's a lot of uh, possibilities, but that's actually kind of one of the cool things is that we all get to brush up on our U.S. civics um, how the laws work and everybody's kind of looking at that right now to see exactly um, what what could and would and might happen. So that's actually the um, interesting part. And for policy nerds um, like Brian and I, uh, we're a, a little less emotional and more fascinated with all the, all the possibilities. But um, when it comes down to it, um, as Brian said earlier, we really have to figure out a way to come together um, on all of these things. And so there's a question that I always ask um, my board of directors uh, when we get ready to do any project or I ask it, I have to ask myself that a lot because it's really, it's really easy to throw around ideas and discuss, I, you know, discuss things and possibilities or, or find problems and discuss possible solutions, but it's it's really easy to get in the weeds on that. So there's two questions that I ask that I that are really um, sort of get us out of the weeds and get us back to where we're supposed to be. And that's what matters most to those we serve and what does our community need from us. And so as we've been working on the Action 22's to-do list for this next year, um, of course I've asked those questions um, and right now, I think the thing that I keep in my mind, I keep hearing is what matters most to those we serve is just um, getting back to uh, a healthy, healthy communities. And that means physically healthy, um, emotionally healthy and economically healthy. So we're talking a lot about that. Um, but we're also um, then, but that always brings the next question is that's what does our community need from us? So you and I have actually talked about what our community needs from us right now, but I think it's a lot bigger. I mean, for Action 22, just the pure, <laughs> everything that we do, everything that we have our, our fingers in, um, there's, we have our members come to us with, you know, something that they have a concern and, and sometimes we can react to it really quickly. You know, sometimes it's a call up to the governor's office or whatever. Um, and I'm going to make a little bit of a fuss. And I know this is, um, I gush over Phil Weiser a lot. But as I've listened to Phil Weiser, even leading up to this and after this, um, Phil Weiser is the Colorado Attorney General. And he's a really good friend of Action 22. He's been on previous shows and you've heard me talk about it before. But he's really been talking a lot about serving all Coloradans and doing a really good job on that and how we do that and how we, you know, move on and, and quit sort of getting in our own way. Um, but I still, it's a hard thing to say, what does our community need from us right now? Mm -hmm. um, what, and you've been working on a couple, there's a couple things that you've been playing with, especially you're getting done, um, you know, as, as working for Congressman Tipton um, your passion has always been in that casework side of it. What do you see that needs to be done? Uh, I think, uh, especially now, after everything that's happened in 2020, the most weird year ever in yeah. my life, um, you really need, we need to come together as a region, as a community. And Action 22 is the voice of rural Colorado. It's the political muscle. Um, like I've said in past shows that, you know, if we needed something, we came to Action 22. If we need a letter of support, 
if we needed advice on a bill we're going to run. And this is from a federal level. And Action 22 mainly deals with the state level. But we would still check in right. with Action 22 and say, hey, we're going to co-sponsor this bill. We're going to uh, introduce this bill. How would this affect your membership? And if Action 22 came to us and said, this is terrible, do not do this, we would not do it. Yeah. If they said it needs to be changed, we would change it. Um, and again, this is federal. This isn't even state. Um, and with the state, luckily you have, I mean, you can, you see your state representatives and senators like face-to-face every day. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're, they're members of the community. I, I get that uh, Congressman Tipton is a member of the community, but he had a huge district. Um, mm-hmm. And he was also in D.C. Um, in Colorado, the legislature is only part-time, so they're in the public. They're, you know, they only cover a few counties versus 29 that we covered. So you interact with them, you see them, you have a, a rapport with them going forward. And, and that's important for Action 22. And what I think Action 22 needs is we need to drive that membership up. Um, we all need to come into this because we're looking for, we're looking towards a rough couple of years. Um, from the budget, you know, the the Colorado, stop me if I'm wrong, but we have to have a balanced, balanced budget. Yeah, right? that's, that's not negotiable. So um, that's the only thing that they... Um, that the legislature, that the Colorado legislature, legislature is required to do. Okay. If that's all they did is um, pass the long bill and went home, they would have fulfilled their mandate. Okay. Um, so that's it. That's the whole thing. But I mean, there's 700 bills yeah. a session. But so that being in it, that Colorado has to have a balanced budget too, as well. Yeah. Um, there's going to be cuts across the board. Um, everybody is hurting for money right now from your average person on the street up to the United States. And Colorado, I, I foresee having um, less money than we planned on. Yeah. And which means being that they have to pass a budget and it has to be a balanced budget, we're going to see budget cuts. There, I, there's, no, there's no other way to do it. And, and I think um, Colorado fiscal policy is really interesting. Uh, it's really complicated and it's unique in the country. So there's not another model someplace that we can look at. So everybody's like, oh, we're becoming um, California. On fiscal policy, that's no. never, that's not going to no, happen it, it, ever. It and what Action 22's role in this is to be the voice of the 22 counties. Because when it comes time to start cutting money, um, everybody's going to be fighting for that piece of the pie. And Action 22, you're in the perfect spot that you are a voice straight to the governor. You have a line, open line to Governor Polis um, and the legislators. And, um, you know, that's your role. And the only thing that makes Action 22 more powerful is membership, yeah. more and more membership and fighting for that piece of the pie when it comes time, when we're going to see this money go away. Um, and I like the way, yeah, it's the money that's going to go away. Um, there's, I mean, there's a lot of bright spots. There's a lot of things like when we see, you know, the San Luis Valley airport mm-hmm. and so like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of, that we're going to have to figure out in a whole new way. Uh, yeah. And there's, you know, I, I think that um, if you look at the, if you look at the ballot measures and, and what was voted on, um, Mike Beasley last week was right when he said, I mean, he was completely on target, of course, when he said that we're still 
vote um, fiscally conservatively. We're mm-hmm. still fiscal conservatives. So it was interesting on one of the issues because what we do is um, the, our sister organizations, Club 20 and Pro 15, um, they have um, policy committee hearings mm-hmm. or meetings, um, and then they have committees that decide on their policy. What we did this year is we put it out to all of our members mm-hmm. on what positions they wanted to take on those particular ballot measures. Um, and so it was really interesting to see um, how our region fell. And we only had about um, about half of, we, I mean, we had about a 500 batting average mm-hmm. as far as what they said, the positions that they wanted to take, our members wanted to take. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the one that was really interesting to me was um, that for our membership that we, you know, that was really split um, was the um, lower the um, income tax. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be a slam dunk with our members and it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes back to that, the assertion that, um, Colorado voters are really very educated. They actually do sit down with the blue book. They go yes. through it. They ask the questions. Um, we get all the political ads, but they don't leave it up to that. Yeah. To and, do it. And I think Coloradoans um, by a whole, they like to know where their money's going and they like to have control over that. So even some of the local ballot measures from uh, across the, the state where you had, you know, voting on, higher school district funding for, you know, a county or a town or a municipality. Um, you, it was interesting because you saw some of them approve that, but then not approve the other stuff yeah. that was statewide, because I, I think we want to know where our money's at. And Coloradoans like to have control of where they send their money. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, there's a was a movement for a while that said that um, <clears throat> when you fill out your ballot, your federal presidential ballot every four years, that you would go down and it says, where would you like this percentage of your tax money to go where they wanted the voters to pick what they're funding oh, yeah. the federal government? Um, that, that'll never happen. But I um, remember that. that's kind of like what we did in Colorado already. It's like, Hey, we're going to raise this here. Are you for that? Yes. We're going to raise it here for this. No, we're not going to do that. But uh, it, it's interesting. Um, but it's, seeing that and saying that again, I, I just think that action 22 um you know, we need to fight. Action 22 as an organization needs to fight to take care of southern, southeastern, yeah. rural Colorado because it is going to be a fight. And you're going to see the budget cuts coming down. Um, we're already struggling with school districts. And my fear is that the first thing they're going to start cutting is funding K through 12. Um, I know. And I know the governor worries about that deeply yeah. too. I mean, I think that was part of the whole, um, the EE um, yeah. was... You know, we're, we're, so for those of you who don't live in Colorado, if you're a listener, um, there's a, the only tax that gets passed is the sin tax. That's what mm-hmm. they, they say um, here. And so that was that last ditch effort because um, this last budget, um, they had to cut another half million. Yeah. And, and we're both friends with the JBC um, chair, mm-hmm. Danae Escar. And I know that it just, it killed her. I mean, yeah. she, it just tore her up because she's been all about, um, all about teachers and education yeah. and stuff. And to have to do that was really, really rough. So there's only a few things, but there's a big push in, I think in Colorado, and I don't know if this is nationwide or if this is just strictly Colorado <coughs> thing, um, but me. you're fine. But um a lot more rural, not rural, area control and area responsibility. And we saw this, we're seeing this right now um, with the way 
the governor's handling this this next wave. Mm-hmm. Numbers have gone up. Numbers have gone up. He's on every single day. He's educating, but he has not. And and he gets pressure to do a statewide shutdown again. Mm-hmm. But he's really doing his best, I think, to leave it up to um, the the counties themselves to do that. And I know that there's gonna if there's a threshold where you know, as a different counties, they can't get it under control, then, then mm-hmm. he'll do something. Um, but he really, really doesn't want to. And uh, when he was here two weeks ago, that was the thing I kept asking him, um, are you going to shut it down? Are you going to shut it down? And, and he basically, I got very pointed with him about it. And he said, what needs to happen for um, Denver or Aurora is not what needs to happen for Los Animas County. And he's mm-hmm. exactly right. Depending on what's going on with these different counties, because we're having very different things happening, but, and I appreciate that. Um, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't mm-hmm. like for this thing that this sort of thing, I think it definitely works yes. for other things like um, oil and gas where <laughs> yes. they don't, rec- you don't recognize, I mean, you know, or energy or any kind of natural resources um they're not necessarily going to um, recognize county lines on yes, some of these things. Yes, th- that is very true. And um, I, I always hated it when, you know, bills were passed federally where it was one size fits all. And it's like, come on, guys, like, I, I get what you're trying to do. But what works for New York City doesn't work for Florence, Colorado. No. Um, and, and we saw that <laughs> with some federal legislation like the Dodd-Frank Act where, yeah. you know, you had rural community banks were unable to process loans that they've always been able to do because Dodd-Frank prohibited that. Yeah. Um, yeah, stuff like that. And I do appreciate the governor leaving it to county to county and, you know, take care of your house. And so I don't yeah. have to step in to do it because it, there are some counties that aren't even impacted in Colorado. No. Um, I just drove over half of Colorado the past few days and, you know, there was a couple counties I was in. It's like, oh, we haven't had anything here. We're fine. Yeah. You know, and they were, of course, they're angry. Like if, if the state gets shut down, I don't know why they're shutting us down. We have no problem here. Um, yeah. Um, and that's a hard thing. On the other side, if you see this happening and you see this happening, um, for me to sit and watch something happening, um, like if it was in my house and I'm watching something happening and not jump in and do something, yeah. that's a tremendous that that takes that takes some leadership too to yeah. to say we're going to leave it up to you to figure it out if you need us um, and and I wonder if that's not going to translate on a national level as well um, especially with you know Colorado joined voted to join the um, the compact the the um, popular vote popular vote compact. Popular vote. Um, and so I think as we move, as the country moves away from electoral college and moves toward that, and and I could argue it either way, honestly, but mm-hmm. um, I have a tendency to want the electoral, but it's purely selfish because I want to continue, you know, my rural communities need the electoral college. But as we move to that, I wonder if it's not going to be more and more of a state and regional thing, if that in some ways that divide might actually be a good thing mm-hmm. um, except for trying to elbow people out on the money side of it. Cause that's the whole thing, right? And it always boils down to money. <laughs> it, always, it always boils down to money. And, and that's the, the, the part I think that um, regardless, if you, a lot of the anger and frustration. <laughs> but that, let me, let me rephrase that. It boils down to money and clicks. <laughs> Damn it, it's high school all over yeah. again. Um, 
<laughs> clicks. Um, uh, let's talk about that for just a second. The, the clicks have become the red and the blue. <laughs> yeah. Um, those are definitely, you know, the, the cool kids and, and sort of, you know, the, the bullying and if you're in the wrong region for. So, so you're talking about clicks as in like a high school click. I'm talking about clicks on the internet, which is the same oh. thing. Like click <laughs> the same it boils thing, down yes. to money and clicks on your webpage, but you're right. It's, it's clicks. It's, it's, it's clicks. It's yeah, yeah. No, it's true, but it is clicks. Um, that was the other thing that I just, oh, you know, I ha- I'll have moments where I just hate everybody in the world. Um, and it was earlier when I saw that people were still fundraising. Oh, yeah. Because my background's in fundraising. Yeah. So I see a fundraising campaign from a mile away yep. um, on a cloudy day. Um, and so that's the part that's really bugging me right now. And I feel ah, there's a lot of – so in order to have a good fundraising campaign, you have to have a great villain, Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're doing a fundraising campaign for St. Jude's, the villain is cancer. Yes. Right. If you're doing a fundraising campaign for um, dogs or it's the villain is the, you know, people who abuse animals or, yeah. you know what I mean? It's a whole thing. So to be a really good at fundraising. And so the this whole election, I'd really love to see how much money I know a crap ton Oh, it's this is more money than we've ever seen raised and spent and still being raised, I think, in history of this country. Um, even, you know, the third district race was like five and a half million dollars spent on something that I remember 10 years ago. It was not even a fraction of that to run for this district. Um, even the districts that were safe, you saw the fundraising just like skyrocket. The money yeah. spent on everything from ads to, you know, commercials to internet stuff. Um, I, I know me, whenever I turned on YouTube or Hulu, there was five political commercials in a row. And it would be like one candidate and then the other candidate. <laughs> and then it would play the first one again and then another one. And then some weird random one for a like a candidate in New Mexico. So they're even, the media markets are kind of interesting with this too. Yeah. Um, so they're buying media markets that aren't even in the district or area just so they could cover those, you know, 2000 voters that might live on the border of Colorado. So they're buying New Mexico. Um, <sighs> it, it just, the money's insane that's spent on this. And um, yeah, it's a lot of money. Well, and I guess the part for me that just makes me, infuriated and um, with it is when we're talking about trying to economic recovery and, you know, the effect that COVID is going to have on, on our economy, on jobs and all that sort of thing. And to realize that we just, as a country, we just raised and flushed Mm -hmm. that amount of money. Um, It's, I don't, I don't know. My dad always would say, at the end of an election, he would always say, well, no matter which way it went, well, we got exactly what we deserved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've said that to myself a lot in the last little bit. We got exactly what we deserved. And I think that's a really good example yeah. of it. But, but also, you can't hate on the money being raised too much because even though that money is being raised and spent, it's still employing people. It's still generating. Yeah. Um, it's going towards the economy. You know, I, I mean, I would have loved to have owned a print shop this go around, you know, oh, right. I would love to see how much money the 
print shops made printing political signs. I um, I hope they did really really well because our friend the printer mm-hmm. or my friend the printer is um, over here. He he was in trouble before the election um, because all the events you know yeah. So, yeah, so some of that, hopefully that can make some of that up. And hopefully now we can redirect that to um, really promoting the entrepreneurial spirit, really doing um, some good. Um, And I'm I'm not talking about um, just handouts, but like what you talked about, where everybody sort of comes together. Mm -hmm. We decide on um, as, you know, as a region or, um, or any of those things, um, what infrastructure needs to happen. Yes. Um, one of the things that is a, is a frustration for Colorado um, continually is um, broadband. Yes. So, um, and how do we fund broadband and, and how do we get, you know, all this money has gone into broadband. It's exactly the same thing. All this money has gone into broadband, but there's still communities that can't um, stream Netflix on more than one device at a time and right now how that's going to happen. And so um, there's some interesting things happening on those fronts. There's some interesting things happening in other places where, you know, some of this stuff is going to get flushed. Yes, but there's going to emerge some really great economic development things. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity um, going into this next year. I don't think we'll see anything immediately as far as like a CARES package from the federal government goes until this election's done. Yeah. So it could be a while before we see that. But regionally, um, you know, that's what makes Action 22 so important. Um, we, we need our membership. We need to stick together. Um, you know, we need the school boards on Action 22, yeah. at least it, it, the, the minimum to participate. So they have a say when, when and if money is cut from the school districts. Like we, we need to be the voice for them. Um, same thing with small business. Um, we, we can be an opportunity um, or a, a resource for opportunities. Like, you know, so many businesses don't even realize there's grants out there. Yeah. And I think Action 22 could be a, you know, a viable resource for that. And we want to do that. A good example of, of one of those things is when the governor was down, we had one of our Action 22 members, Donald Moore, um, from Public Community Health, um, was over here and talked with the governor. And um, he there was a couple things that some perspectives that he'd given the governor that mm-hmm. he hadn't heard from other places. Yep. And immediately the governor's reacting to it and yes, immediately they're, exactly. they're saying, do, you know, doing those things. And, and there's a couple of things. So regionally we are a whole lot stronger when we have um, all this really great expertise, um, all these really great business and community leaders come together um, and, and we love it. Um, all right. So our time is up um, on um, our, our talk today. Brian and I could probably talk about this um, for several more hours, but uh, it's just, it's going to be interesting. Um, I love the perspective of, of everybody coming together um, and, you know, sort of under one flag um, or, you know, one organization to do that. Um, I want to thank you for joining us um, next week. We're going to have um Donald Moore that I just spoke about and uh, Tara Lowry from um, San Greater Crystal Hospice. They're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that they're uh, facing with COVID. They're talking um, 
some of the things that they need to see happen here and it, it might be a benefit um, to you and, and what you're doing, um, some of their things that they're worried about. Um, this has been an episode of Making Action Happen, um, Action 22's radio show. Thank you for joining us. Um, next week, um, same time, uh, 1 o'clock uh, Mountain Standard Time. We will talk to you then. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your host, Sarah Blackhurst, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.